Hi, and welcome to episode 19 of season three of the Connect You podcast. I am the somewhat under the weather Jeff Cullen. And I'm Mark Hughes. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Under the weather. Other than that. I'm Other than that, I'm fine. Uh, I've been hit with the worst cold that I can ever remember getting hit by. And I, I'd heard a bunch of people talking about like a really bad cold going around. Yeah, I, of yeah. course, had dismissed it. Fools! But no, it turns out they were right. It's uh, it's it's a pretty nasty one. So. Well, I'm a little bit concerned because I've been able to so far dodge it. So I'm worried that that may not last. Yes. Well, I will. Uh, uh, I'm I'm well into it over a week, so I think I'm probably not contagious. But I will keep my distance. No worries. Um, both my sons have it. My wife seems to knock on wood have avoided getting it so far. So, but yeah, it uh, it's not a fun one. <laughs> well, so we are um, uh, having coffee. We are. So if you're new to the channel, rate, review, subscribe. Ooh. Every week we sample some coffee. We also do all kinds of other crazy stuff. Uh, well, not really. It's all, we're doing great. So this is uh, very This is smooth. very nice. Yeah. So this is from Squamish, BC. Squamish. Counterpart coffee. The mish. It is... It. Peru and Guatemala, which are closest to each other, but not connected. And uh, <laughs> this is true. And um, it's called First Peak. And um, they say the company name is Counterpart Coffee. And tasting notes are chocolate and wine gums. Wow. Only two this time. There you huh. Go. It is, uh, this is, um, it's kind of a medium roast. It's, uh, it's very nice. Yeah. It's very nice. Smooth. Now, in this Coffee of the Month Club, if you decide something really, really gets catches your fancy, can you request you can order. it? Yeah. 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 Nice. There you go. Um, do you have any dad jokes? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Secure. Just, uh, we do look them up on the phone. Uh, what? My friend keeps saying, cheer you look up. him up on the phone? Cheer up, man. It could be worse. You could be stuck underground in a hole full of water. I think he means well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm never donating to anybody collecting money for a marathon again. They just take the money and run. <laughs> oh, wait. <clears throat> See, it hurts when I laugh. Did you hear about the circus fire? No. It was intense. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was so unpopular at school, they used to call me batteries. I was never included in anything. Oh, man. There you go. I love, I've heard that before. That's a good one. And uh, how much space should you give a fungi? How much space? As mushroom as possible. Oh, as mushroom as possible. Of course. Of course. Uh Woman is on trial for beating her husband to death with his guitar collection. J Judge says, first offender. She says, no, first the Gibson, then the Fender. <laughs> oh, yeah, last one. I've got, uh, what, where, what, storm, what store do stormtroopers shop at? The store next to Target. Oh, of course, of course. Because they never hit the Target. That's right. Uh, what'd you learn? What did I learn? I learned quite a bit of stuff. Oh, yeah. 
uh i learned there's a sugar shortage ah yeah i know yeah there because, is a, um, there's a bc rogers yeah. plant rogers sugar in canada yep that has basically uh, is on strike and although they are producing some stuff mm. they produce all the brown sugar on all the demerara sugar right and they're basically shut down in very producing very little yep and as a consequence all these bakers are actually going to like supermarkets yep. to buy up all the sugar so that they can actually keep baking so that they have enough to stay afloat over christmas because you need a lot of sugar for baking funny you should mention that so my wife sent me out because we heard about this earlier this week and even though i was not feeling very well i did drag myself out Went to Safeway and sure enough, like nothing, all the sugar gone. In fact, so gone that they piled a bunch of uh, turkey roaster, you know, those, uh, get those aluminum foil every Christmas. They I just am. pile those up where the sugar usually is. It's kind of like they didn't want to be bothered. Where they're trying to hide so, their sugar? Yeah. sugar. Well, that it was gone. There was nothing, no sugar, no brown sugar. But uh, she went out this morning and Red Path, which is a different producer uh -huh. safe, uh, that uh, Walmart sells. Ah. Uh, so she went and bought like, I don't know, six pounds or something more than that. She had the whole bag of sugar because she's going to be baking. In fact, she's baking right now. So she was like, yep, out ahead of the curve. So, uh, but yes, people are, there's a rush on for sugar. <laughs> sugar rush? Sugar rush. <laughs> Uh, what, um, did you learn anything? I did. So one thing is not good. Uh, so the, apparently this is the first year on record. This is, I, I'm quoting my wife here. She said, apparently she looked it up that there hasn't been no snow reported at the Edmonton international airport at all in the month of November. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm used to snow before October so 31st before that's not Halloween. good. And unfortunately I'm almost at this point now where I'm, I'm. Like I'm disturbed by it because obviously we're going to have some issues around water shortages, right? And at the same time, now if it gets cold and snow, I'm going to be mad because now I'm like, this is okay. <laughs> this right? is okay. This is so like, it's a bit of like, a, this is like Toronto weather. It's a bit of a double-edged sword. they're next to a giant lake. Yeah. It's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because mm -hmm. the, the longer it takes to get here, I think it's going to be the worse. The other thing I learned, and I, I saw an article about this, um, I guess the microbrew industry in Canada is uh, hitting a plateau. Well, I'm not surprised. So there was There's uh, so many beer There was an analyst who uh, is a beer guy, mm -hmm. and so I just read he just wrote a like a white paper or whatever. But he's like, yeah. So it's been speeding up continuously. Every province, um, and I think. Ontario and BC are the most, I think Alberta's third. And now for the first time it's, it's flattening out where there's fewer, fewer new uh, breweries, fewer new breweries. Now he wasn't sure if consumption is going down or if mm. it's just more consolidation and a bunch of them closed. Um, During COVID. So, yeah. So the, the, the the total number was still going up because there were more opening than closing. But now for the first time in a couple of provinces, more have closed than opened. And so we're actually seeing a bit of a, uh, definitely a flattening and perhaps there'll be a, a consolidation of uh, that industry. So, wow. Yeah. So not a good time. Good time for us to look at maybe some roll-ups, but uh, you know, 
see if people want to sell their brewery and <laughs> to somebody who wants to consolidate, that's mm -hmm. going to be a good time for the market, but uh, not a good time if you want to launch your own new, new brewery, probably it's a bit, it's a bit of a uh, saturated market, I guess. Well, I, there are a lot of, like, uh, I go to a particular wine store called Chlordivino, not a sponsor. And, um, they, uh, um, they're, uh, I mean, they have great selection, but there's so many breweries yep. uh, and so many brands. I have a hard time, like, you know, there's certain breweries that I particularly like the flavoring and, and it's kind of hard sometimes even just to find them, even if they are there because they're just right. so, and the cans are colorful and yeah. they're all these big tall boys now. And right. uh, now I go to a place where you're not likely, I mean, Color Divino, you're not likely to get Coors or like, uh, yeah. or Bud or right. Blue. Like maybe you can buy them there. I don't think so. But uh, it's all it's all a bit more specialty stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. There's some stuff I really like. There's a gentleman's stout from uh, the Medicine Hat Brewing Company, but it's hard to find. And I like St. Ambrose. They have a dark, dark porter, which is really good, but also hard to find. And you're right. You go to the liquor store, and you know, I don't know what you call the phenomenon of where something new comes on and it's really cool. And then it sort of goes away and it's sort of disappointing because like the liquor depot, which have now mostly been bought out by, uh, they've all been turning into ACE discounters. Yeah, I right? noticed that. Um, like what happened to liquor depot? I don't know, but they had, they had the, uh, the growler bar. There was two or three locations, one at Capilano and it was phenomenal, right? Because they were, uh, spotlighting local breweries you could go and and try this try that this is liquor depot yeah and then covid hit they shut it down mm. and now it's just gone yeah. and so i don't know what you call that phenomenon when there's something you know for so long it, it always seems like things were always getting better yeah and now suddenly it's like we're oh yeah we we don't do that anymore i remember when uh i, I felt the same way this is years and years ago when uh, chapters uh started closing at night you couldn't bring your own you know, they just changed their business model because when they first opened which was probably unrealistic you could you could grab a magazine and read it there and you could take your coffee from starbucks and wander around and but you know from a business model it wasn't very lucrative but yeah. but it was kind of cool i mean they were open till midnight seven nights a week yeah yeah things just felt like all right things are getting good this 20 this late 20th century is good right yeah. and, and then it wasn't. So <laughs> then it wasn't. Yeah. So I don't know. It must be a word for that. Yeah. Retrenchment. <laughs> exactly. Um, the other thing is the Cybertruck has finally come out. Yeah. Last Did you see that Friday. video? It's, there's been a lot of videos. I'm Did not you sure see the one, one. with the racing the Porsche? <laughs> no, I did not. Oh, I did not see that. I saw them uh, racing a Rivian. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, it's. It's this is a bizarro truck. So holy crap. Here's the They've had lots is, of changes since the concept. Yeah. I think this is Elon does the voiceover. <laughs> really? So yeah, so they're they're racing a I think it's a nine eleven. Mm -hmm. Right? And it beats it. Oh of course. Right. But then he goes, But wait, there's more. And then they pull back and it's towing a Porsche nine eleven <laughs> and still beat the Porsche nine eleven. <laughs> Uh, oh, oh my god burn. burn yeah so 
Yeah, it's uh, it's quite the thing. Let that sink in. Yeah. <laughs> so ninety nine thousand for the upper the, the top 000 line US. Yeah, yeah. For the top for the line triple model. motor version. Yeah. There's a double yeah. motor version. I think it's got four hundred mile radius. The 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 smaller one. Well, he's it's a there's a all wheel drive, four wheel drive, and then there's the rear wheel drive. Yeah, the rear wheel drive the, hasn't come out yet. It's yeah. a single engine one. Right? And I think the lowest price is was it sixty nine thousand. I US, think it's sixty nine, yeah. eighty nine. This is a this 99. is a pretty fancy. But you yeah, know, but look what people pay for. You know, Ford one. You know these big tri- tricked out. Not that much. Oh, not not are... not not compared to no, like no on the low end. So in Canada, I mean, if you were to get like a premium Super Duty, whatever, it might cost you a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Um, Canadian. Right. So this is a hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah, no, I'm not talking. And it the... is, and it is equivalent of a one uh, Ford F one fifty, right? Like it's uh, the F one fifty Lightning. Yeah. Which I think is like sixty k, something like that. Right. So I mean, it, they're about the same size. They're yeah. about the same range. Um, well, it's definitely a, same uh, bed. It's definitely a, a, a rich person's. It is definitely toy. a rich person's showing off. But at, it's cutting. It's 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 cutting that edge. It is. Uh, so it may be uh, like it. It is a, some pretty pointy corners. Oh my yeah. god! Like, uh, I was just in Fort McLeod with uh, one of the dads, you know, from the hockey team, and yeah, they, I'm took, paranoid. they took their uh, Tesla. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's the first time he's sort of driven it long distance. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was learning stuff. It costs him about 18 bucks, he figures, to drive from Red Deer to Fort McLeod, which is pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, I didn't know you can pre, like, he has to, yeah, you have to precondition it to charge. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you, it'll tell you, and then if you set the preconditioning, it'll speed up your charge, right? So when you get into a supercharger, but you gotta like you can see you gotta push the button to let it know, and then it, it must do something with load sharing or I mean it he goes it, it's so sophisticated the software and and the control systems that we don't even you can't even get your head around it. Right? Well, the original Tesla was made up was powered by stacked laptop batteries. Right, like yeah. it's just crazy. But this yeah. now is is uh, like the whole charging algorithm. If you've got longer time to do it, it charges a certain way. If you've got, you're, you're more of a rush, you pre, like so you set it to precondition and it does something while you're driving and then it charges faster. Well, it's it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, the, the, I mean, there's definitely an emphasis on a, a look or an aesthetic. Uh, Elon was enamored with, there's like this cyberpunk 2067 or something like that. Uh, 2077. 20, 2077. 2077. Yeah. And um, I believe that's kind of it's that aesthetic. It that would fit has, in. Yeah, driven his his. I mean, there's uh, you. There's no logo. There's no Tesla logo except on the card, the key card. Oh. Uh, everything else says cyberpunking, kind of a uh, cyber truck in a cyberpunk kind of yeah uh, welded look. So right. anyway, it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see what one looks like. Uh, they all have custom. T- there's no spare tires. Really. Zero spare tires. There's not even like a little um, little donut. Nothing, right? If you want, and those tires, they're huge. They're 22 inch wow. custom tires. So what happens if you get a flat? Exactly. And so when when you listen to Elon talk about 
or are they are they a hard rubber no, like no. a like a no they're just like a, a martian mission tire maybe they are custom tires they have like custom uh they're designed to integrate with there's like a rubber cover on the oh, yeah, on course. the uh on the outside of the wheels that lines up with the tires so these are special tires i i'm sure they don't have winter tires they're just all season right so. and there's no door handle so right. you have to press a button it pops out and then you grab the side of the door and open it up there is no handle there's no door handle so welcome to frozen alberta <laughs> it's gonna be interesting anyway um so that's uh yeah. that's what we learned let's uh let's talk about today's topic which is we have been doing kind of a bit of a deep dive into different celebrities who are a little bit neurodiverse or at least unusual. Yep. Um, and today we're going to talk about Stanley Kubrick. Right. My wife just recently in her book club, they did The Shining. Yes. And I thought that was super interesting. And so I actually went and did a bit of a deeper investigation into right. Stanley Kubrick. Um, now that's one of the adaptations that Stephen King hates. hates. Absolutely hates. Yep. Yep. And um, although apparently he'd like Dr. Sleep, which is the sequel that just, they just did a sequel to the shiny with, uh, well, I mean, well, the book was a sequel and cause it follows uh, Danny, a grown up okay. Danny Torrance. And uh, they just did a movie. I don't know if it was theatrical release or it might've just been straight to streaming, but, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ewan McGregor uh, plays uh, the main character. So right. Stephen King said, apparently he he liked that adaptation better. But well, I and mean, then they did a Shining TV TV show. I think that was better. Well, the the, the thing about the Shining is, um, at least Stanley Kubrick's version. And it's we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but yeah. the um, but the thing about his version is, um, it. It's very. It's quite a different story from the, yeah. the 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 novel. Yeah. The novel focuses primarily on Danny. Now, Danny is a main focus, but there is a different aspect to him that's focused upon right. in the in the movie versus. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, Stanley Kubrick. So Stanley Kubrick died in nineteen ninety nine. So he's been dead. Oh, is that right? Long. Yeah. That long. He was born in nineteen twenty eight. Okay. In the Bronx. Wow. So he is American. Uh, um, it's interesting because I didn't, I don't know that I necessarily knew that he was American. Um, I thought he was British. Well, it's because he lived most of his life in Britain. Right. So I kind of thought he was, and the other thing is you don't, you almost never hear Stanley Kubrick because he gave almost no interviews. Right. He's so he's these... kind of a bit of an enigma. Yes. So, um, but, so he was a pretty poor student in school oh yeah um not because he wasn't bright but because he just wasn't motivated apparently his uncle gave him his gave him a camera like a like a film camera okay in the and uh, when he was you know in junior high or something like sure that. and he kind of was super interested in that and obsessed about things. so he kind of obsessed about things so he um he so he was actually a photographer before he was a filmmaker ah okay okay so in the late 40s he became an apprentice photographer for a thing called look magazine okay. and then later became a full-time staff 
photographer and did that for a number of years. Um, did all kinds of assignments. Um, he was a pretty quiet guy, skinny and poor, <laughs> um, but was a, a boxing enthusiast. So he started photographing boxing ma matches for the magazine. Okay. And did a series called The Prize Fighter in 1949. Right. So, Previous to that, he'd basically been sent on assignments to do right. things. And this is one where he kind of did the, his own did it on of, his yeah, own yeah, and then, yeah. and then got, they, they ended up publishing it. Interesting. He also did one, um, a photo essay on working debutante, Betsy von Fustenberg, mm. um, which featured a Pablo Picasso portrait of Angel F. De Soto in the background. So he did all kinds of stuff. He did a whole bunch of musicians, jazz musicians, Frank Sinatra, oh, yeah. Errol Gardner, George Lewis, Eddie Kahn, a whole bunch of them. All as a, a portrait photographer. Um, yeah, kind of, no, more like a, a performance, like a oh. concert photographer. Mm. Um, and then he started doing in the early 50s some short films, mm. independent, his own thing. He did a thing called um, The March of Time. Okay. Um, so he learned that, he, he, no, sorry, he, he worked in the offices of a guy named Singer, which is a school friend who, uh, who, um, who worked in the offices of Newsreel and found out about the March of Time and how, and figured out how much it would cost to do a short film. Okay. So he did, he figured it would cost about $40,000 to make a prof, uh, a short film at this time, but he only had $1,500. So he... He produced some short documentaries and he did, um, he did a, again, a fighter one called the day of the fight. Okay. And then he, um, and he moved on and started doing more and more, um, short films. Right. Um, and, uh, eventually came and did one called his first feature film was called uh, fear and desire in 1951. Oh, interesting. So most of the stuff he'd done before that were little documentaries. And um, it was a commercial failure, mm. but it got all kinds of positive reviews. Right. And then he started doing more. He did, did more along those lines until... And the other thing is when he was young, he was um, like he's a crazy good chess player. So one of these okay. guys who can see... And he would actually make money playing chess in Washington Square. Interesting. Yeah. So um, now I thought I read, and maybe you're going to talk about this, that he, there was something about lighting where he would create scale models of the lighting he wanted for a film. And it was so accurate that basically the lighting director could just come in and and like transpose whatever the blocking or whatever from this model onto the set onto the set. Well, that is very much exactly. That is very consistent. On. Like he he basically got very frustrated. Like in his so he started doing. He he met some film producers playing chess, oh, and yeah. then ended up basically making films. And he ended up uh, doing um, uh, Spartacus. Oh, did he? Was he Spartacus? No, uh, oh. Kirk. Kirk Russell. Yeah, yeah, Kirk yeah. Douglas. Right. No, I know he didn't play the role. Was Spartacus? He he did. The, he directed Spartacus. He was, yes. Kubrick received a phone call from Kirk Douglas asking him to direct it. You know, I'm Spartacus. Yeah. <laughs> so he um, 
that was kind of so he really only done like 13 major feature films before he died yeah yeah so he did um so he did uh spartacus was kind of the first one yeah then he did one with peter sellers which was lolita oh okay so what's really interesting about stanley kubrick is he has done is that the films. adaptation of a Nabokov's uh, novel? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. So the 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 thing about the thing about Stanley Kubrick is that he has done films that are super significant in like almost every genre. Right. Right. He he has an a film that is uh, groundbreaking in all these different kinds okay, of genres. Sure. So he's he covered a lot of territory. So you've got Spartacus. Yep. Which is historical, uh, historical like drama. set way back. Yeah, yeah. He's got Lolita, yeah. which is kind a, of a controversial. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what pedophilia, maybe. Well, kind of, yeah. It's, it's not. Of... It's more than that. It's obsession and yeah. Um, he did Doctor Strange Love. Ah, yes, of course. With uh, with Again, also with Peter, with Peter Sellers. Sellers, right? And so that was about nuclear war yeah. and. And uh, East versus West. Yeah. He also did, um, what else did he do? He's done a whole bunch. So the, see, I've got, where's the filmography? I'm looking at the wrong thing here. Uh, here it is. So, uh, I'm going well, in the wrong order here. Anyway, uh, so he. Obviously, 2001. Yeah, but before that, he did. So he did Kubrick. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm confusing myself. He did uh, Spartacus. Then he did um, Lolita. Then Doctor Strangelove. And then he started doing more. He did. Uh, yeah, the next one was um, 2001: Space Odyssey. What's really interesting about 2001: A Space Odyssey? It's that's before the Apollo mission. Mm -hmm. So he was envisioning space travel, and it's still very relevant to this day oh, for space if travel. You watch that movie, and we have the uh, the the, the, uh, the Blu-ray uh, version. Yeah, you know, and it came out long before Star Wars too. Yeah, the the I don't even know how those special effects were done. I mean, everything that he was doing there, they were inventing probably like the shots on the moon. Oh I mean, yeah. It's, 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 it's remarkable yeah. how, you know, you know, there were all kinds of people that suggested that he had, was the guy who did the filmmaking to fake them. Yes. Because... Right. But anyway, so he did um, 2001, a space odyssey. So then again, that is, uh, um, that is kind of groundbreaking. Oh, for uh, sure super significant from a science fiction perspective. Yep. Um, then he did a clockwork orange. Oh yes. Okay. So it's just, again, that's a speculative fiction, but about a dystopian future. Yeah. Ultraviolence. And ultraviolence. Um, then he did um, a period photo with Barry Lyndon. Oh, okay. Barry Lyndon was 1975. And so he, he uh, obsessed about, so one of the things that filmmakers did before Stanley Kubrick came around is they would, the director would come and say, I want to do this shot, do this and have the script. And then 
the cinematographer and the lighting guys would just block it and set it up. And then the director would just say, go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He hated that. He said, you guys don't pay any attention to composition. So from his perspective, he used all this specific composition where there's kind of like a center focus. Usually the center focus is in the background. Mm -hmm. It's quite deep. And uh, it's a very different approach from how almost all the contemporary films at that time right. were filmed. So it always had a very distinctive look. Right. Um, because of his background in photography, he was he was meticulous. And right. the the time for development of his projects was crazy long. The shooting was crazy long. And he would do take after take yeah. after take after take. Um so Barry Lyndon, which was a period piece, and the thing that was significant, he was really pissed off with almost all the period pieces at the time because they would have like evening shots, but they would light them as if they were modern day. Ah. But at the time, they only had candlelight. So he specifically right. shot a candlelight, which was really difficult at the time. The film stock wasn't just, wasn't really capable of doing it sure. very easily. Yeah. So he um, Frankensteined a whole bunch of, lenses from like um spy satellites oh man a spy, a spy plane spy planes okay and stuck them onto film cameras because these 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 uh lenses had like huge apertures so that right. they could actually film in really low light sure so uh so so then he actually shot it but they the actors had some real constraints so they because um, when you shoot in super low light with a really wide aperture, you have a very shallow depth of field, very mm. shallow point that's in focus. Okay. So they were allowed to go sideways. The actors and actresses were allowed to move sideways, but they could not go for front Forward and back while they were acting. Interesting. So it was uh, so it was really quite something. Um, and then he shot The Shining, which was released in 1980. Yep. Um. And then what else did he do? He did Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Right. Now, apparently, because he did not like to travel, this is the movie that was shot entirely in England. It's true. But so it he, set in, he moved to England. In Vietnam. He moved to England. He had like an estate in yeah. England. He, his, uh, his studio and... Um, his post-production, all right. that, his movie editing suite, everything was at his home. Yeah. Right? So he didn't go anywhere. Right. Right? And he didn't do any, uh, <laughs> he didn't do any um, uh, interviews. He's kind of like a bit of a hermit. Yeah. Um, so he was kind of mysterious because he produced all these films. Uh, and then he did um, Eyes Wide Shut. Right. And that was in 1999. Yeah, Tom Cruise. And, so uh, uh, I don't know if I've got them all, but um, but yeah. So Eyes Wide Light, Wide Shot was released in 1999, and then then there's a, there's a couple of unfinished and unrealized projects. So he did AI with right, which, with artificial uh, insurance. Spielberg Spielberg came along and finished. Well, actually, or... they did it was a collaboration. Okay. So it was always intended to be a collaboration. Oh, was it? Okay. So, but uh, but he but um, um, but it it basically. He died before it was finished. Yep. Um, so Kubrick spoke, uh, approached Spielberg in 95. So when, when Kubrick died, he was 70, right? So he was not super young at the time. No, but not super old either. No. 
and um yeah so he he approached spielberg to direct it uh and with kubrick producing it uh Ooh. so that that went for quite a ways and then it ended up being finished the other one he never finished was a thing called napoleon he wanted to do a one about the life of napoleon oh yeah um but he kept having problems trying to to do it. like he he started with a draft screenplay in 1961 and wow. never, never finished it kept shelving it all the time interesting so uh, which is funny because uh who's the director of the napoleon film that's out right now is it uh is it christopher nolan no it is ridley scott ridley scott right yes i haven't heard too much about that one yeah so anyway so lots, he, of, lots of memes so stanley kubrick uh, again almost impossible to find any significant interview stuff he right. never talked about his films after they came out he never talked to them about them before they came out he just almost never talked about anything ever right um, there is a film i saw i actually watched a film specifically about stanley kubrick and it was a it was basically kind of the life and times so, so there's lots of stuff that out there that dissect his films oh yeah but there's very few that talk really about, about him, him because right. there's so little material for him sure. but he had done an interview a fairly long interview with a french um okay with a french uh a journalist yeah and it's kind of the one is he cryptic no he's not cryptic he's remarkably he seems very pleasant and civil and oh, all yeah. that stuff it's not like he's hiding no it didn't seem like he's like, hiding anything but yeah but it was just super now there was some controversy about his work on the shining and how uh, shelly duvall was purportedly terrorized terrorized well yeah. so and then and traumatized and she was traumatized by, rest the, and... by the number of takes right so there's one particular scene where everybody's very familiar well not everybody but many people are very familiar with uh when jack nicholson is chopping through the yeah. door to yeah. try and get so that took 105 takes oh man now shelly deval had said she'd never ever done more than 15 takes in her life and she was traumatized by it. And from um, from Kubrick's perspective, uh, the traumatization that she was going through actually made for better and better response to right. the, to the to the the axe coming through. So sure, but that's like, yeah, that's a little bit abusive. A little I think. bit dysfunctional for sure. Right? Yeah. So I mean, now was he married? Did he have children? He did. He, I think he had three wives. Okay. Um, so he, um, he had three wives, two or three at least, but his last one was for a long time. So he married like a high school sweetheart and then he married again. And uh, what does it say? Personal life. Um, yeah, he, well, he was a workaholic. So he was obsessive. Every, he never, almost never took vacations. And so it was kind of difficult. Um, but his wife described him, his wife, his last wife was there for like 40 years. Okay. So it was a long time. Yeah. So he died six days after the screening of the final cut of Eyes Wide Shut for his family and stars. Hmm. And he died of a heart attack in his sleep. There you go. Interesting thing. He's only like four years older than my father-in-law. So he like 
he was born in 1928. My father-in-law was born in 1924. I, you know, just seemed like my father-in-law was older. Always old. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, so he, but he's super significant. Oh uh, yeah. I think that some of his projects in particular, um, like the shining is, is just one of these ones that just stands out clockwork orange. Yeah. Absolutely. These are ones that are kind of timeless. They are like, actually, um, yeah. Barry Lyndon is super cutting edge for the, um, it took a year to, for them to film. I've never seen that one. It's a, uh, it's a long one and it is a bit, it has a bit of a reputation for being a little plotting. I've seen it. It was a long time ago. Um, Dr. Strangelove is amazing. Yes, it is. It's in black and white. Yeah. Um, I have not seen Lolita. No. Um, but I have seen all of his other ones, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, 2001, I've watched multiple times. Yeah, it's a great movie. It is a pretty amazing movie. Uh, Full Metal Jacket, the performances are incredible. They are. And, uh, and you know, some like Vincent D'Onofrio is in there as a young yeah. man. Um, you've got uh, Sergeant Lee Emery, Matt Modine. Yeah, that's right. Um, Emery was supposed to be. So it's an interesting thing. The guy who was uh, was it Emery, Emery James, or something like that. He no, Lee Emery, Lee Emery. That's yeah. his name. So he was uh, Emery James is a, yeah. a local law firm. The uh, Lee Emery was. Um, was brought in. He was a former drill sergeant. Yeah, he was supposed to be like the technical consultant. He was supposed consultant. to be the technical consultant. And, but he did such a good mm. job that uh, that that uh, he was used instead exactly. as, as the drill sergeant. Right, and then that started an acting career for him because he, he then went on to do a whole bunch of stuff. Some of it comedies and whatnot, but... Uh, I did not know but, that. Oh, yeah, no, he's been... He was in a bunch of things, but yeah... So uh, Full Metal Jacket was quite the thing when it came out. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a, like an Apocalypse Now-ish. Well, yeah, respect. because it came out, there was a whole it, slew of Vietnam-related movies at the time, right? Mm -hmm. There was uh, Platoon, obviously. There was Hamburger Hill. There's a couple of others. And, you know, some of them were more... I don't think any of them glorified it, but some of them were more your standard war movie. Yeah, and I think this, it was overshadowed and then this came by out, Platoon. Platoon was, was like, overshadowed it a little bit. Yeah. So, but this one came out and it was just like, wow, like the story and and yeah, it's it's quite the masterpiece. But then you found out, yeah, it was all filmed in England. Um, the whole thing. Yeah. It's amazing because yeah. I mean it looks. Like he was uh, one of the things he was trying to have them walking, marching through parts of Hanoi, all burned out. Right. But that doesn't really exist. So, but he found a place in Britain that actually um, was built with the same kind of um, neo modern architecture that right. would have been in place in Hanoi. And it was all dilapidated. So they just, and it's, so he did a lot of tracking shots, a lot of steady cam work. Right. Like if you ever watch The Shining, like it's been spoofed so many times because of all the tracking shots. There's been so many homage, homages to to The Shining, and same thing with Platoon. Long tracking. Um, yeah. So he has some very specific uh, techniques that he really, really uh, looked at. He tried really hard to make very 
good, strong stories. Yep. Um, and he was um, meticulous. So, yeah. Anyway, I thought it, thought it was interesting. He did. He did uh, it, it, it's an interesting. He's an interesting character. Uh, well, interesting character. He's in the character as a person, but yeah. he uh, he a great storyteller. Right. And um, yeah, I don't know. And is there anything that you think of when you think of Kubrick in particular? Uh, well, obviously space uh, 2001 and uh, yeah, that, and then just sort of his reputation as this sort of reclusive genius. Yeah. I think he's had a big influence on, on guys like Tarantino. Mm, I right? can see that. So uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, and then when you realize just how many, how few movies he actually made, right? But like, I like the way you put it. It's sort of like a seminal film in each of these genres. There's no, like he was not a a, a, a journeyman director where you're like, yeah, he did a whole bunch of stuff and, you know, just for commercial release. Like every movie he did was almost like a Picasso or a, exactly. or a a Michelangelo specific work of art, right? And whether it pleased the market or not, you have a sense it was more, this is what I'm doing and it's, it's, this is the way I want it. And that's how it's going to be. And if people like it, great. And if not, oh, well, I don't, I don't really care. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So I, th I think uh, me spent lots of time now on... neurodivergence. Is there any indication? Well, I think of, so. Of... I think, I think the thing, so uh, I, I kind of clued into this. So that it was contemporaneous. I was trying to look for interesting celebrities that were neurodivergent. And okay. one of the names that came up was Stanley Kubrick. He does have some traits that definitely this obsessiveness, this right. attention to detail hyper focus mm. um i mean he was a brilliant chess but it, so one of the key characteristics of like severe adhd is your ability to it's like a superpower your ability to hyper focus right but you're also not interested in anything that's not related to what you're interested in. sure so um it, you end up with this weird dichotomy like they can never accomplish anything that's not that they're not interested in but if they are interested in, they can accomplish huge things. Interesting. So yeah. I would think. So little and, ability to push through what they're not interested well, in. Well, and, you know, he's super good at chess. Right. So that takes a particular kind of mindset. Not that if you like chess, you're neurodivergent, but, uh, but you're more likely to find a neurodivergent person that's quite good at chess. Right. Than. Um, than your average person. Interesting. Interesting. So anyway, that, that, yeah. so that's kind of how I clued in to him. Cool. Um, anyway, I, I spent a lot of time, I've spent more time uh, researching Stanley Kubrick, um, and, but there is not a lot of information out there that's not specifically about his films. Mm, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So he hid, hidden plain sight. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of it. who are like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what kind of media are you consuming? Oh, again, having been not well, I just not haven't watched much, but we did watch a, a, a Sex Pistols documentary. I mm -hmm. don't remember the name of it. So, so Victor has uh, started collecting DVDs. Okay. Right. Uh, classic films that, that sometimes don't stream. Right? Yeah. The kids watch his stuff on Tubi and whatnot. So he went out 
and he found uh, uh, the Gary Oldman uh, Sid and Nancy biopic, which oh, I yeah. saw years ago. I saw but he also ago. found a, a, a documentary. So we watched a documentary and it's interviews with the band and really amazing amount of, of archival footage. But we were relating it to the FX series that they did. Oh, yeah, that you also yeah. watched that. And uh, pretty close, you know, really. So you can see that FX series captured a lot of the the, the essence of it. Was so it better it was than the Sid and Nancy or just different? Um, different because the Sid and Nancy obviously focuses on Sid Vicious, his story particularly, mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, what's her name, Spongin, Nancy Spongin. Whereas here... It's the the more the the relationship with the early band and this manager of theirs who was really kind of a bit of a uh, despicable sort of character and how it all fell apart, you know. And and the thing that's amazing is the how compressed that period of time is, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's less than two years probably, right? Where they rose, hit that that crazy peak. level of peak, and then did this U.S. tour, and that was the end of it. And then they sort of disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really well done. Yeah. yeah. So, and I've never been a big fan. I mean, everybody knows one or two songs. And, but to start getting into the story, I'm like, yeah, this, this was something, you know, like that whole thing that they managed to pull off, the, where the youth was at. So it, it, it had a lot of really interesting perspective into what was happening in the Thatcher years and sort of the juxtaposition of, let's say, corporate pop. Mm -hmm. you know, in, in England and the disenfranchisement of the, you know, the youth where they're like, we're not buying into this. Everything is fine stuff because man, it ain't fine. Right. <laughs> and then, and then without even necessarily planning it, you know, these angry voices of dissent that suddenly just become so representative of what was actually going on. Fascinating. Really, really good. Yeah. Okay. And then hear Johnny Rotten talk about, Sid and how, you know, he really regrets bringing him into that whole thing because he couldn't, like, he couldn't handle it, you know, and uh, how it sort of played out. He, he certainly has a lot of regret. It was really interesting. Interesting. Um, one thing that I learned that's related to media, and I kind of did a little dive into this, and I don't think we talked about it last week, was, did I talk, talk about the girl with the dragon tattoo? Ah, uh, no. So, um, so a girl with the dragon tattoo. Mm -hmm. So that came out in uh, like 2010 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, the yeah. girl with the dragon tattoo um, starred Daniel Craig. Yep. As well as Well, that's Mara the Rooney. American. That's adaptation. the American version. Yeah. So they're, so they all came out relatively close to one another. Right. So there was, um, so the books, so the, the guy that wrote the, the, girl with the dragon tattoo he's swedish uh, he right. actually died before the first one was published yeah there's some mysterious no, backstory he, he, there he died of a heart attack oh, did he? Oh, i thought there was some... but it, but he had three books they were ready right. to go yeah and he had part of a fourth one so the uh so uh post posthumously he they get published they did really well they oh yeah done over they're really good uh, and then um and then there was a swedish version of the book yeah we done. have the, it's uh with numi rapace yeah we have the dvds they're they're, we they're really watch the first one they're, they're really, really good. good yeah they're really good yeah. and uh and even the daniel craig version with mara rooney was also really good yeah 
Um, th this relates to the media that I'm consuming. But did they right only now. do the one movie with Daniel Craig, or did they do all three? So that's a very good question. Right. So the plan was originally to do all three. Right. Uh, um, the uh, the studio, which was Warner, I believe Warner Brothers, um, had a problem. So between the time that the girl with the dragon tattoo was released, mm -hmm. and the time they were almost ready to do the next one, which is there's the girl who kicked the hornet's, hornet's nest, nest and the girl, uh, there's, there's three of them. Yeah. I can't remember the last one. And, um, anyway, so between that and the second episode, um, they, uh, the girl who played with fire, that's it. Oh yes, that's right. So, um, it, um, Daniel Craig released Skyfall. So Skyfall became incredibly successful right as james bond so now daniel craig who was um an okay journeyman actor and right. only released i think casino royale now or uh now was, well no he had also done quantum of solace was that before skyfall yeah okay so but yeah. but, but they but had, that was a, they were kind of okay and yeah. then skyfall went like bananas yes like a billion dollars right so the problem is the girl with the dragon tattoo, they expected to do better than it did. Okay. And Warner Brothers, I think it's Warner Brothers, wanted to produce the second one for less because it didn't have the box office receipts. Ah. Now Daniel Craig is now a big star. Right. And he wants more. Of course. So they kind of slow walked it. Really, really slow walked it. And then they found out that the fourth book that uh, Stieg... Stieg, I think it's his Stieg yeah, Larson. Stieg yeah, Larson. Stieg Larson. He so. was going to uh, that that he died, so that he never finished. Um, uh, was being written, and it was called "The Girl in the Spider's Web." Okay. So they decided, basically, to not do the other two, and bought the rights to the fourth one. Okay. And rebooted it with a new. Um, Girl, uh, Liz, Lisbeth, um, Salam, Sal, uh, Lisbeth, the, the character, the girl with dragon tattoo. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Is Lisbeth, <laughs> uh, Salander, Salander. Right. Uh, so they they actually cast the woman that had played the uh, the queen in uh, the Crown series. Oh, okay. And uh, anyway, she did it. It was a very different. Again, it didn't do particularly great. Okay, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Yeah. Uh, but it's very, very different. But basically, they did that so that they, it had to do with rights and money sure. and how much it would cost to produce it. Yeah. So they, they, yeah. So they basically walked away from the parts two and three. Oh, interesting. So that they didn't have to pay Daniel Craig any more money. Right. Oh, well. So, you know, it's kind of like oh. There you go. So anyway, yeah. lots of... Uh, well, and he's now not retired, but kind of semi-retired because he's got kids and married to Rachel Weisz. And yeah. he's done those Glass Onion. And those, those are quite good. Those are very okay. fun. Yeah. I found this on the web for married Rachel Weisz. Check it out. <laughs> Apparently, don't say, say anything like uh, remotely near the word S-I-R-I. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, and so uh, what else did I want? So the reason why I was thinking about this is, uh, so I, I learned that last week and uh, my wife and I have been watching this. So there's two other things I've been watching. One is Gen V. Oh my God, that is a weird show. But anyway, <laughs> and um, I also watched uh, 
John Wick Four. Did we talk about that last week? Well, we talked about it. I don't think we. No, no. I yeah. I think uh, yeah. Yeah, so, watched it. Yet. I have watched it. Uh, yeah, we talked about the bulletproof. The vest, bulletproof. And apparently, coat. you posted something that someone is working on on bulletproof. Coat. Yeah. Yes. Nice. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I've been wa- reading, watching this series called "The Murder at the End of the World." Oh yeah. So I thought it would be something about going to Antarctica, but it's about going to Iceland, which to me is not the end of the world. But no. anyway, uh, but uh, it is kind of a Gen Z version of the girl with the dragon tattoo. Okay. Right? Like the the woman who plays the main character actually played Diana in the most recent... I don't know what the connection is with this type of character and people who pay, play in The Crown. But uh, played Diana in the last version of The Crown, or last season oh, yeah. of The Crown. And, um, but she's kind of trying to do a, so she's a hacker, and she's kind of edgy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she's got a big tattoo. So instead of the girl with the dragon tattoo, she's the girl with the chest tattoo. Um, and, you know, it's, I'm having a hard time. Because usually when you have, like, these murder mysteries. Right. Like all the details, they gotta be right. Yeah, like they gotta be. They gotta make sense. Otherwise, you kind of lose. It's kind of like with some of these uh, world building with sci-fi and all that stuff. You gotta be consistent all the way through, or right. it kind of falls apart. You just don't sure. don't believe it anymore. And yeah. there's uh, there's just stuff that doesn't make sense. <laughs> so they're like they're at this this uh, this place with. It's got super tech and there's an AI and you have a ring and the ring is tied to your, you know, monitors your heart rate and your breathing and where you are and all this stuff and lets you into your room. So it's basically your key for for the room and all that stuff and interacts with the AI and all that stuff. But somehow somebody dies and they don't know who is there. I'm going to get all this tech that tells where everybody is and they need some... Young 24-year-old Gen Z who's kind of like, huh. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's just, it kind of, I'm having a hard time because okay. they're just such big logical jumps right. that don't make any sense. Now, I mean, yeah, anyway. That's, so that, that's what I'm watching. I'm, I'm not sure we're going to watch anymore because it's yeah, just. it's frustrating. It's frustrating. It just occurred to me that that could be a funny series. You could create a, a series about a detective who, uh. You'd have these very contrived crimes, yeah. and then they would always solve it. They would always solve it just on the basis of like, like no logic, right? Yeah, that's like Scooby Doo, and, and make but even Scooby Doo has got better logic, right? Than, no, than, but that could be a funny series. To be like, and you'd be just, well, obviously this happened. Well, how do you know that? Uh, <laughs> that's kind of where. That's kind of where it's. I at. can't tell you. I can't tell you because then... I read the script. <laughs> so, I mean, it looks good. It's obvious I used deductive logic. <laughs> no, you didn't. It's totally, totally a leap of faith. Exactly. That would be funny. Yeah. Right? The criminals would be, how did he figure it out? Exactly. Uh, anyway, uh, I think that's it for today. Yeah, sounds good. I'm going to go lie down now. Hope you feel better. <laughs> yeah, me too. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye. Care, bye.